just gets funny. And American Idol winner Lane Hardy performs. That's Trey Corley in the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Filbury. And Welcome, everyone. We are so happy to have you here. What a wonderful, wonderful experience we are about to have in this show. But we've got somebody who is uh, part of our team. He's having a pretty special day. I'm talking about Keith Bilbrey, our announcer, Woo! who is celebrating his birthday. And I don't know how in the world we could get this show started, Trey, unless oh, yeah. we at least um, maybe sing happy birthday to Keith. I'll try. I'm not a good Please singer. Do. Here we go. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy Yeah, I'm not going to tell everybody how old Keith is, but I will tell you this. They did the candles on his cake, and it was a five-alarm fire. I'll yeah. just leave it at that. That's all I'm going to say. It's and worth it's worth living 51 years. To yeah, I sure it is. <laughs> I, sure, I sure it is. I don't is. even remember 51. Oh, man. You got hey, to hear from me singing. We have had a really big week for news. And one of the big stories was that Joe Biden picked a running mate after weeks of speculation. And just like... Punskatawney Phil, the groundhog that surfaces every year in Gobbler's Knob, Pennsylvania, Joe Biden popped up out of his basement and announced his selection of California Senator Kamala Harris. Now, the Biden campaign had castigated Fox News host Tucker Carlson for calling her Kamala. But then on the actual announcement day, Joe Biden actually called her both Kamala and Kamala in the same sentence. Go figure. So, look, she brings some charisma to the campaign, without a doubt. But she was named the most liberal senator in the entire U.S. Senate in 2019, more liberal than Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. And that's saying something. Uh, she's in the past called Joe Biden a racist and said she believed the women who said that Joe sexually harassed them. But as is typical in politics, what she said then and what she is willing to say now are two different things, two very different things. She proves that the vice presidency is a job no one claims to want, but no one ever turns it down. Now, will she campaign only in the basement like Joe Biden, or will she actually become the public face of the campaign and let Joe give tightly scripted occasional comments with no spontaneous questions from the media? Another story. While Nancy Pelosi and the House Democrats have broken off discussions to deal with the coronavirus economic impact, to folks like you, President Trump announced a huge Middle East breakthrough with the United Arab Emirates to establish full diplomatic relations. This is huge. And tonight in the show, we're going to be talking with U.S. Ambassador to Israel, David Friedman. But suffice it to say, this is 
a historic breakthrough for peace in the Middle East, and it's a major blow to Iran, who increasingly is isolating itself from being part of the world neighborhood. It's, it's frankly being relegated to the status of the hateful, cranky neighbor who puts razor blades in apples to give to trick-or-treaters on Halloween. That's Iran. Now, this was a significant victory for President Trump, and it exposed, once again, the disastrous deal that the Obama administration had made with Iran in which pallets of U.S. cash was delivered in cargo planes. The first $400 million literally delivered on pallets and a total of $1.7 billion paid in all. Every bit of it in U.S. cash. That was your money. Obama and Biden bankrolled Iran. President Trump has bankrupted them. That's going to be an interesting point of contrast in the debates this year. Then there's another item. Riots, looters, mobs continue a reign of terror across the country. And a lot of Democrat politicians refuse to stop it or even speak out against it. In Chicago, thugs overran a Ronald McDonald house for sick children and terrorized seriously sick kids inside who were being treated for cancer and all manner of diseases. A Ronald McDonald House in Bend, Oregon, a mob that included the city council member and the local district attorney surrounded some buses that were carrying illegal immigrants who were convicted of violent crimes. And these public officials were demanding that those convicted of the crimes be freed from custody. Think about that. The standoff itself lasted for over 12 hours. The local prosecutor actually took the side of the illegal aliens, two of which had been convicted, not just charged, convicted with domestic violence. So elected officials there stood for domestic violence and wife beating by illegals instead of standing with the law enforcement officials and the victims of the crimes. Let that sink in. And then make sure you realize that you're going to be voting for more than the personalities or even the people on the ballot. You're going to be taken aside on issues like whether we should stand with Iran or Israel, whether we should uphold the law and punish criminals or punish the citizens by defunding police departments and looking the other way at mob violence, looting, riots, and destruction of public property and the theft of private property. If that choice is really hard for you to make, you might want to rethink whether you should even vote. <laughs> I mean, maybe dead people voting would be better. It sure wouldn't be worse. That's for sure. Well, there is new evidence this week that FBI officials lied to the Senate Intelligence Committee about information in the infamous Christopher Steele dossier. You may remember, that's the bogus dossier that helped kick off the Russian collusion investigation. That investigation wasted a whole lot of government resources and millions, like $35 million of your tax money. My first guest has plenty to say about that new evidence. Here's my conversation with ranking member of the House Intelligence Committee, Congressman Devin Nunes. Congressman, welcome back. Let's get right underway. On Friday of this week, it was announced that Kevin Kleinsmith, FBI agent who worked in the uh, general counsel office, 
had agreed to plead guilty for falsifying information. This is part of the John Durham in, uh, investigation into the widespread Russia collusion story. Nobody has been on top of that more than you have. Tell us how you reacted when you heard there's finally some indictments that are starting to trickle out. This has been a concern of mine for a long time that we weren't seeing any indictments whatsoever because Kleinsmith, who I jokingly refer to as the famous French lawyer at the Department of Justice, I say <laughs> that because you may remember from the text messages, he was the Viva la Renaissance guy. Uh, he had already been named in the Horowitz report. He was actually one of the top uh, lawyers that worked on this case. So I want I want everybody to understand that. Now, you know, we've always believed that there were, you know, four or five uh, dirty cops at the FBI that were involved in this. But we also have to remember there's people that are outside the Department of Justice who also need to be looked at, uh, you know, including, you know, the Clinton campaign and the Democratic National Committee's involvement in creating this, this mess, you know, through a former uh, British spy named Christopher Steele. All of these things have to be followed up on, not to mention, you know, Fusion GPS, you know, who have, you know, multiple uh, uh, leads of, of lying to Congress, from my perspective, to both the House and the Senate. So I hope there's a long way to go here because, you know, this is going to be, this mess has to be cleaned up in order for the American people to have faith and confidence in our FBI and in our justice system. Over on the Senate side, uh, Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin has uh, wanted to issue subpoenas for people like James Comey and uh, John Brennan and some other higher-ups. There was some report, and there's been maybe a, a, a bit of confusion about it, that there were some Republican senators who were pushing back against Senator Johnson for wanting to issue the subpoenas. C can you help us understand what is happening and why on earth would there be any pushback to get those folks under subpoena, under oath, to tell what they know? Well, there shouldn't be any pushback, but I think as most people know, we have a, a few uh, problem children uh, in the United States Senate now that represent very conservative states, but in fact are not very conservative, it turns out, including one of our past candidates for president, uh, who I know you supported Can't and I supported. Can't imagine who you're um, talking about there, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, it's it's just, frankly, it's just so disappointing, Governor, yeah, to have, it is. Uh, you know, to have somebody that represents, you know, the state of Utah like this. And then, you know, they're, you know, and they were accused, you know, you, you would think after his, his candidacy in 2012 that he would understand you know, we were out there defending him because, you know, he was accused of tying his dog to the top of the car, that he was a crazy person. Uh, he was going to cause all kinds of problems if he was elected. Um, you know, the very thing they accused Romney of doing, of John McCain of doing, is the same thing that they, and George W. Bush for that matter, is the same thing that they did, they did to Donald Trump. The only difference is, is that this president is a, is a street fighter. And, you know, if you hit him, he will hit you back. And so it, it seems to me like there's a lot of ill will, um, maybe some jealousy on, on the part of, of some of the senators, um, which is unfortunate because, uh, you know, look, as you know, you know, you've run for president. And look, at the end of the day, uh, you got to pick up and you and, and you know that what we're fighting here is socialism and Marxism and rioting in the street and things we've a, a corrupt court system, a corrupt Department of Justice. You push back quite a bit early on. 
for uh, the Democrats who were just intent on Russia, Russia, Russia. Uh, now those same ones who wanted nothing but that are saying, okay, okay, now that we have uh, some of these people coming forward, let's just move on. Let's just drop it and move on. Explain to the American people why just dropping this and moving on is not the best idea for them as the American people. We still do not know uh, what did the Democrat leadership know and when did they know it back in 2016? Because we do have evidence that the Obama-era officials briefed senior Democratic officials on the so-called you know, dossier that was put together by Fusion GPS that was ultimately, it was the Clinton campaign and the Democratic National Committee that put that document together. So I think what you're seeing here is, is, is they want to get as far away from this as possible because they were in on it. Not to mention, you know, how many times did they go out in front of the American public and accuse the president of the United States of being a Russian agent, of accusing me, of accusing uh, Senate Leader McConnell, of accusing you know, everybody in the White House, Trump White House, you know, including your daughter, of somehow carrying Putin's water. This is really crazy talk. Uh, and, and that's why these people want it to, to go away. The, the Democrats want this to go away, which is exactly why it cannot go away. Well, we appreciate what you have done. I think uh, not only have you been vindicated, but you have been uh, truly revealed as a person that America needs to be grateful to. By the way, you got a new book coming out called Countdown to Socialism. Boy, what a great topic, and uh, I wish you the best. I hope people will get the book and realize that there are people pushing our country towards something that is a big failure. Uh, but one thing's not a failure, and that's your congressional career. Thank you for uh, being there for all of us, not just the people of your district. Congressman Devin Nunes, great to see you. Hope to have you back soon. You're very kind, Governor. Thank you so much. You can follow the Congressman at Devin Nunes on the new social media platform, Parlor. And be sure to pre-order his new book, Countdown to Socialism. You can get it from Encounter Books. Now, if you'd like more of my perspective on the news, join me on Huckabee.tv for facts of the matter. This week, we're talking Kamala Harris, Nancy Pelosi's prayer request, and a sanctuary county in California for pastors and churches. We'll see you on Huckabee.tv after the show. Hey, Keith, what kind of collusion are we about to get into for the rest of the show tonight? Why don't you tell us? Well, some fun collusion. Next, Ambassador to Israel, David Friedman. And later, American Idol winner, Lane Hardy. Not to mention some author by the name of Sean Hannity. They're all coming up on Huckabee. Next week, President Donald Trump joins us. Legend John Ford Coley performs. And welcome back, everybody. We are glad you're joining us. Boy, I love the music we're coming back in with. Ain't no mountain high enough, right? Yes, sir. Absolutely. I, I, I'm pretty good at picking these songs. I really am. Well, this was a week for the history books as President Trump announced the first Middle East peace deal in 25 years. It's called the Abraham Accord. And to tell us why it is so significant for Israel, but also for the Arab world, for the United States, for everybody, I sat down with U.S. Ambassador to Israel, David Friedman, before the show. Here's our conversation. 
Mr. Ambassador, the president made a startling announcement yesterday that has great implications for the Middle East, but actually for the whole world. Why should the average American care about this uh, incredible deal between the UAE and Israel? Peace is the gold standard in foreign relations, and peace in the Middle East is the platinum standard. It happens so rarely. There hasn't been an agreement uh, between Israel and an Arab nation since 1994. This is going to uh, have a significant reverberation throughout the region. And I think it's a huge victory for, uh, for the forces of moderation, uh, for the forces of religious freedom, uh, against the, uh, the forces of radical Islamic terrorism. And, and, and of course, uh, it's a very small world, and, and that affects us, uh, as I said, acutely here at home. Do you foresee that other Arab states will start saying maybe this is, uh, maybe it's a relationship we ought to have as well. Because the choice is, um, Israel doesn't care that these other Arab states exist. They're not going after their land, their territory, their marketplace. But everybody's afraid of Iran, right? rightfully so. Do you foresee other countries becoming part of this coalition? Look, you made, you made the point exactly right. Uh, Israel is no threat to any of these uh, nations, and, and these nations are not a threat to Israel, or at least, at least they shouldn't be. And um, it's, it's, it's the common uh, enemy in Iran, but it's much more than that. It's the enormous upside for, uh, for these nations to emerge from the grievances and the hostilities and the, and the acrimony of, of 100 years of, in the past, and to really, you know, uh, move into the 21st century, uh, there's so much uh, opportunity as well. Of course, there's a common threat, and, and of course, that, has a, that plays a role in it. But the upside is, is, is enormous. One of the sticky points uh, was the idea of Israeli sovereignty over Judea and Samaria. Uh, I've heard you say that it's not that it's off the table permanently, but it's certainly not gonna come up any time in the future. Would you explain that? Because I, I think there is some anxiety. Did Israel give up their right to a big portion of their homeland in Judea and Samaria? No, uh, let's be clear. Israel did not give up one inch of territory in Judea and Samaria. The issue is one of timing, it's not one of substance. And uh, look, how do we get started with this? If you remember, what was the first uh, inkling, public inkling of a diplomatic breakthrough. It was uh, on January 28th of 2020 when the president and the prime minister of Israel announced uh, the president's vision for peace. That vision for peace had attached to it a map. Uh, the first time uh, in history that Israel agreed to the territorial dimensions that it could live with within Judea and Samaria. What did that map show? It showed that every single Jewish community in Judea and Samaria would remain intact under Israeli sovereignty. We have to put our eggs in this basket. You know, you and I are both uh, believers. Uh, I, I think back to Psalm uh, 120, you know, King David, the greatest warrior in Jewish history. In the last sentence of that Psalm, he says, I am for peace, they are for war. Um, we have to be for peace. We owe that to our children and to our grandchildren. But we also have to remain committed to the, the land that, that God gave us. God gave the Jewish people. God gave the state of Israel. But they're not inconsistent. In this case, I believe those two principles are, are not only are they not in conflict, I believe they complement each other precisely because of the terms 
of President Trump's vision for peace. Well, congratulations to the president, to you, Jared Kushner, uh, Jason Greenblatt, all of the team uh, who really engineered an amazing, amazing agreement. Mr. Ambassador, thanks for being with us. I hope to see you uh, maybe in Jerusalem, as they say, next year or sooner. Thanks, Governor, and, I, and, I, and I, I hope you bring, please bring your guitar. I'm looking forward. Well, get yours tuned, my friend. We're going to be playing again. Look forward to seeing you. Okay. Thank you so much. Be well. Well, Keith is standing by with details on how you can keep up with Ambassador Friedman and his efforts with Israel. Well, you can learn more about Ambassador David Friedman and his work with Israel at il.usembassy.gov. And follow him on social media at U.S. Ambassador Israel. Coming up, comedian Corey Rodriguez shares laughter. Then Sean Hannity talks America. And later, rising country music star Lane Hardy is here on Huckabee. Huckabee.com and sign up for his free newsletter and follow at GovMikeHuckabee on Twitter. And welcome back. How about a big hand of applause for Trey Corley and the Music City Connection tonight? They have been rocking the house for sure. Well, you have seen my next guest on shows like Conan O'Brien, Dry Bar Comedy, and his Zoom and Facebook show called Corey's Stories. I want you to give a great big welcome to the very funny Mr. Corey Rodriguez. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Everybody's been talking about this COVID weight. Like, you're going to get a lot of COVID weight. I've gained a lot of COVID weight. I'm like, not me. And then I put jeans on for the show tonight. I'm like, I've gained some COVID weight. <laughs> I should never have to jump into my jeans. Like, that's, that's a female move. I was jumping into my jeans, pointing my toes down, squeezing into my jeans. Not these. I borrowed these from the governor. These are not my jeans right here that I'm wearing. <laughs> you know you gain weight when you leave your belt at home and you're like, I'll be fine because that belt digs into your stomach. You ever have the buckle dig into your stomach when you take your belt off at the end of the night? You're like, oh my goodness. I think I'm allergic to my buckle. I think there's some poison in my buckle. Why is it so itchy right there? That little spot gets so itchy. It feels so good to scratch that little area like, mm, moan when you're scratching it. <laughs> it's a lot of pressure when you start to gain weight is all I'm saying. I feel like, I don't know, during this whole thing, during everything going on, I feel like I, I've learned to fix a few things. Because I never really felt like a real man. Like, let me get that right. Like, I'm a real man. I have real man parts. That's it. I left that hanging a little weird. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, I don't feel like I have enough tools, ties, and dress socks to be a real man. I feel like any real man I know has a lot of tools, a lot of ties, and a lot of dress socks. Where do you get all those tools from? Someone was like, you get those tools for gifts. I was like, ugh. If anyone ever left me $200 worth of tools, I'd be like, return them and get me four PlayStation games. I need tools. When do you get a lot of tools? I have three tools. I have a Phillips screwdriver, I have a flathead screwdriver, and, and I use my girlfriend's pliers. <laughs> you know how emasculated it is for your lady to be like, did you put my pliers back? And I was like, I was gonna use them again. She's like, well, put them back. 
I'm in Boston and I'm saying this one night. I'm like telling, I'm like, I don't have a lot of tools. And the weirdest thing that's ever happened to me after a show happened. This lady follows me to my car. I'm in the parking lot walking to the car. And this lady goes, excuse me, comedian. Excuse me, honey. Excuse me, you don't have a hammer. You don't have a hammer, honey. And I was like, what? She was like, on stage you didn't say you had a hammer, honey. You don't have a hammer. And I didn't have the heart to tell her I own a home. I have a hammer. I just didn't say it. So I just went with it. I was like, no, no, I don't have a hammer. She goes, oh my goodness, give me a second. This lady runs to her car. She comes back. She goes, I always keep two hammers in my car, honey. You got to have a hammer. This lady gave me a hammer after the show. Who takes a hammer from somebody in a parking lot after a show? Tonight, when this is all over, I'll be in the parking lot collecting ice picks. If you have an ice pick, please, I have a wicker basket for you to drop them in outside. I'm not a handy guy. I grew up with my grandfather. My grandfather has a third grade education. He moved from North Carolina to Massachusetts. Third grade education, he can fix everything, right? Hot water, heating, plumbing, flooring, ceilings. Two barbershops, three homes, fix everything. He can't even say three. He says one, two, three, three. I have a college degree. If I lose Wi-Fi, I can't fix anything, nothing. If I can't get on YouTube, nothing will ever get done. You ever watch a YouTube video, you're like, oh, that's too advanced for me right there. What do they mean? You ever watch a YouTube video, they're like, listen, before you do any electrical work in your home, everybody knows you need to go downstairs and turn off the main power source. I'm like, everybody doesn't know that. I need to watch another video that leads up to this video. I thought I could just use rubber handle tools and get the job done. I didn't know. <laughs> I'm that stupid. I see people judging me right now. I'm that stupid. I don't need to watch stupid people videos. I don't need to watch a video where they're like, listen, before you do any electrical work in your home, you want to step out of the bucket of water, all right? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I don't speak fluent contractor. That's all I'm saying. Some people know how to do everything. You ever have a guy stand in front of your car and make the engine rev from the front? What? Look at some of you, it's not a big deal. To me, I'm like, he's a wizard. What is he touching? The head gasket? The catalytic converter? I don't even know if that's the right stuff. I just know that stuff's under the hood. I don't even know. You ever hear a guy in front of your car like, don't touch anything. I got it, chief. This guy's magic. What I want to know is what's under his fingernails. Ugh. You ever see what's under his fingernails? Why are your fingernails so dirty? Ugh. Looks like you've been cutting portobello mushrooms and digging graves with your bare hands all day. What's under your nails? He's like, I work hard. That's what's under my nails. I'm like, you need to work hard at cleaning your fingernails. Looks like you got a French manicure with black tips. <laughs> Clean it up. <laughs> you work with anybody over 55, 60 years old, they don't read the book. They just know. They're like, ah, the wiring goes up that wall, goes across there, comes down there. And they all say the same thing when you ask them how they know. How did you know? They'll go, common sense. I'm like, we don't have that anymore. <laughs> we have the internet. All right, I'm Corey Rodriguez. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Corey, we're glad to have you here. Thank you for having me. I've been watching some of your stuff online. You, and, and, you know, people can download your comedy. Um, and it's great stuff. When did you decide? Was it when you were a kid or as an adult? When was that moment you said, I'm going to be a comedian? That's a good question. I mean, I was, uh, I was actually a criminal justice guy. I was a criminal justice major in, in college. And then when I got out, I, uh, I don't know, I've always been funny, but like, not like, you know, thinking I want to be funny to other people, just to friends. 
And then, um, I don't know, I, I started doing improv comedy. Yeah? And just started it up. And going, I like, to the it. comedy clubs and stuff? And, yeah, uh, going to do, like, yeah. Whose Line Is It Anyway type yeah, of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I started doing that, and then I got into stand-up. And I just tried it and loved it and kept going with it. So, I mean, you go from criminal justice to making people laugh. Boy, then that's, that's crossing the spectrum, man. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, co comedy has taken a turn over the yeah. last few years because of political correctness. And so yeah. many people can't tell a joke anymore without offending people. Do you have sort of a, a measure? How do you pick the material that you do, s remain funny and relevant, but at the same time, you know, not worry so much that somebody is gonna get their feelings all worked up? I don't stress about it too much. Good. Uh, because somebody is always gonna be upset no matter how nice I am, no matter how sweet it is, no matter how vulgar it is, someone's always upset. Yeah. So no, I don't stress out about it. Everybody's not gonna like you. If you can get a good following of a million people that love you, great. The, the other millions, I don't know how many people are in the world, but all the rest of them can <laughs> like somebody else. <laughs> you know, you may have a future in politics because you gotta have that kind of attitude about life, is that every time you walk in a room, half the people in here hate your guts and the other yeah. half think you're great. So it's, it's, it may be is something like that, but on the other hand, don't do it, Corey, <laughs> don't do it. You're a great comedian, you don't need to ruin your life. Uh, the quarantine. <laughs> No, trust me on this one. The quarantine has really messed up people who perform because yeah. things are shut down. Yeah. How do you make a living during a time when the clubs are closed and you can't do your normal that's a, routine? That's a, that's a great question. Something that I decided to do was uh, a lot of my friends were complaining about their kids, like um, reading to them at night and like every night and just like, not like they were complaining about reading to them. I don't want to make them sound like evil people. <laughs> But you're with your kids all day, yeah. and now you're stuck in quarantine. There's no, you know, everyone's not playing with everyone, so it was just, it's intense. So I just wanted to give everybody an outlet. And so I created this thing called Corey Stories, where I would read uh, children's books at night, you know, and I brought my son on the show with me, so we read and we tell jokes and we do things, and we give people about 30, 45 minutes to just relax and, and, and give the parents a little free time before bedtime so they don't have to read to the kids every night. And uh, that was awesome, and I did that. Still doing it now. Well, it's a great idea. I hope people will check out your material. Yep. They can download it. Uh, they can subscribe to your YouTube channel and, and lots of ways to get Corey Rodriguez and hopefully soon invite you to their community and uh, see you live because we be had awesome. a great time doing it. Thank you, Corey. Thank you very much. Happy to have you here. Delighted. Hey, Keith, I want you to tell our viewers how they can keep the laughs going at home with Corey Rodriguez. Well, I would love to. You can see hilarious stand-up videos, book him for a corporate event, or even download his comedy album, My Turn, all at CoreyRodriguez.com. You can also follow him at CoreyRods on Instagram, at CoreyRodriguez's on Twitter. Still to come, Sean Hannity calls out the new risk to America. Voting advocate Chad Conley has some wise advice. Plus, American Idol winner Lane Hardy. More Huckabee in 60 seconds. Welcome back. Hey, you might know my next guest from his top-rated radio and TV shows, 
but he's also a best-selling author, and he is releasing his first new book in 10 years. It's called Live Free or Die, America and the World on the Brink. It is already the number one book in America. Here's my interview with Sean Hannity. Sean, brand new book, Live Free or Die. I mean, it's the theme of New Hampshire, their motto, but this thing, before it ever even got on the market, was already the number one best-selling book in America. There's clearly an appetite for your message. Why are people so desperate to understand what's going on in America today? Yeah, I never wanted to write another book, Governor. It's too much work. I've, I've got four hours on air a day. I think that's enough. But I felt a five-alarm fire in my head, my heart, my soul, and, and my solar plexus. And I just knew I had to do this because I saw where this was headed. I think that Joe Biden, by, by adopting Bolshevik Bernie Sanders' socialist economic agenda, basically naming him as economic czar, he knew that he didn't have Bernie supporters behind him. And then pledging trillions to AOC's new Green Deal, he knew he needed that part of the Democratic base. Uh, then, of course, Kamala Harris, she's to the left in 2019, when you look at the Senate record, of Bernie Sanders. So he's tripled down, quadrupled down on hardcore leftism, but that is pure on socialism. And if the stated policies that they have, Governor, and you know this as well as I do, if they are ever implemented, it would be an unmitigated disaster. It is the antithesis of everything that has created, I always believe, the greatest country God gave man. I think that with it will go freedom and liberty. Uh, these will be false promises they are making. Everything's free. They'll never be fulfilled. There will be loss of freedom and there will be poverty and misery as a result. How do we know that? Because that's what always happens when socialism is tried, whatever point in history or uh, whatever name they give it, it's still the same result, Governor. And I, if that happens, you know, we'll be the generation Reagan warned about. He said, well, freedom is but one generation away from extinction. That'll be on our watch. I don't want that to happen on our watch. Sean, this isn't about the yeah. personalities of Joe Biden or Donald Trump or whether they like the president's tweets. This is whether or not this country lives or dies. And that's why I think your book uh, really struck a nerve, all, even before it was released. Whatever name, whatever manifestation, be it, you know, Mao's revolution or the Bolshevik revolution, uh, you know, or the satellite, the former Soviet Union in Hungary and Bulgaria, Czechoslovakia, uh, Poland, et cetera, Yugoslavia. You look at all those countries, East Germany, they, they had to build a wall. People in East Germany were dying to get out. They couldn't get out. What happened? They, it failed. All of the, these promises that are offered always fail. Look at Cuba more recently, the murdering Castro brothers, the dictators that they are, or you know, if socialism worked, Venezuela would be the, the richest country on earth. But I think there is a, an appeal when, when they promise you that everything's gonna be free. You're gonna have free, guaranteed education, pre-K through college. You're gonna have student loan forgiveness. You're gonna have a, a, a guaranteed government job with a guaranteed government wage waiting for you. Uh, you're gonna have guaranteed government vacations and guaranteed government healthy food and you're gonna have guaranteed health care, and you're gonna have guaranteed uh, government retirement. I guess for some people they're like, oh, I feel so much better. The stress of life is now totally eliminated from me. For all of the people that might think this is so appealing, I need to ask you a few hard questions. Number one, 
if you look at all of these blue states, all of these blue cities that have been run by liberal Democrats for decades, my question is, how are they doing with their number one most fundamental basic job and responsibility, safety, security, law and order? If I was a professor, I'd give New York, Chicago, Portland, Seattle, LA, San Francisco a big fat F. Next responsibility, how are they doing with the promise of educating our children? Well, they're not doing well there either. So how, did, how are they doing on those two jobs? How is government doing, you know, last I read Governor Social Security in a lockbox, remember we used to talk about a lockbox? Yeah. yeah, that's going bankrupt. <clears throat> Medicare is going bankrupt. And more recently, how did all of the Obamacare talking points work out? Well, we now know the results are in. Millions lost their doctors, millions lost their plans. On average, Americans are paying 200% more for health insurance. Uh, and uh, now we're gonna double down on this. Medicare for all, 52 trillion. The New Green Deal, 94 trillion. You know, you don't need a degree from Harvard or MIT, Governor, to understand a country that takes in four, four and a half trillion dollars a year can't spend 94 trillion on the New Green Deal in 10 years and another 52 trillion on Medicare for all. Uh, that is mathematically, scientifically impossible. The promises, if they can't keep the promise on Medicare, Social Security, education, law, order, safety, security, uh, and, and Obamacare, why do people have any faith in government to do any of these things? They failed spectacularly again and again. There's a, a big bullseye on your back every day. The left comes yeah. after you yeah. unmercifully. How do you handle that? That's got to wear on you just the relentless attacks from the enemies that you have well, created. You know, there, there, there are a lot of people, for example, and I've given you this compliment before, they run for president and they don't win and then they lose their mind. You were <laughs> never one of them because it wasn't personal for you. I dish it out four hours a day. Whatever switch I'm supposed to have in this crazy head of mine that cares what other people think of me, it does not exist. <laughs> I care about what my what my children think. Yeah. And I, you know, even my friends, you either get me or you don't. I mean, understand that I I I this is a blood sport. Uh, this is not the monopoly every day. I can take hits, but I'm also very comfortable giving them out. We need to save this country and all hands on deck. Yes, we do. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, sir. Keith Bilbrey is going to tell you how you can get Sean Hannity's latest book and a lot more. Keith? Well, you can get Sean's book, Live Free or Die, America and the World on the Brink, anywhere books are sold. And follow him on social media at Sean Hannity. Be sure to listen to Sean on radio stations across the country every afternoon. Plus, watch Hannity in prime time on Fox News. Next, Christians and voting with advocate Chad Conley. Then American Idol season 17 winner Lane Hardy. More Huckabee is on the way. Well, I believe the election in November is vital to preserving religious freedom and that it's urgent, I mean urgent, that people of faith 
actually go out and vote. Chad Connolly is the former RNC National Director of Faith Engagement. He's also the founder and president of Faith Wins. Would you please welcome Chad Connolly? You and I have known each other for a number of years. Yes, we sir. first met when you were the executive director of the Republican Party of South Carolina. Yep. Uh, then the RNC tapped you to run something they'd never had before, and that is a faith engagement director, which was to hopefully encourage people of faith uh, to get out, register, and vote. Yes, How sir. important is that, Chad? Well, as you know, it's the biggest deal. Uh, when I talked to Reince Priebus, who went on to become President Trump's first chief of staff, he was the national chairman, and I was a state party chairman, like you said. Yeah. And I had told him, we blew it. We left out the faith vote. I, hmm. I'm a Christian. Let me go talk to him. And I wouldn't look for a job. I was running for re-election as chairman, but I just believed in the, the overwhelming winning part of relationships, knowing those pastors would get their congregations to vote if we just talked to them and told them how. Chad, a lot of pastors say, I don't want to get involved in politics. That's dirty stuff, and I just want to preach the gospel. So what's wrong with that attitude? You know, I remember the first time a pastor told me that, Governor. I think it was in 2014 in Colorado, and I really didn't know what to say. And I was like, Lord, give me an answer. And I said, well, you don't preach politics. Uh, do you preach the Bible? And uh, he said, well, sure. And I said, the whole counsel of God, as the scriptures say. And he said, sure. And I said, well, just do that because I don't believe life or marriage or religious liberty or defense of Israel even are political issues. They're mm. spiritual ones. You know, people will say, uh, about the two candidates for president. But one is abrasive, and, and he, he tweets stuff that we don't like. And, and look, I get that. I, I mean, I totally understand it. But how do you deal with those people who are looking to elect their Sunday school teacher to be their president or their governor or their senator? You know, I tell them we're not voting for Sunday school teacher, but I also point out to them that you're not just voting for president or a congressman or a senator or a county council. You're voting for the policies and the principles they believe in. If you're going to defend life and the preborn and the unborn, if you're going to stand for traditional biblical marriage, if you're going to stand for religious liberty, uh, now's the time to let your voice be heard. And if you don't register to vote, then you don't have a voice. If you don't have a voice, you can't complain. And I, and I think it's important that what you do with Faith Wins, you're not telling people how to vote. You're not saying vote for this guy, this guy. It's not about that. It's register to vote and then go vote. Now, I, I want us to sort of talk about how many Christians sit it out. Yep. What is the number of Christians in America? How many of them are registered? And how many of the registered actually go and vote? So somewhere between 40 and 50 million people who go to church, profess Jesus, don't bother to cast their vote. Most people say about half of those are unregistered. So our effort this year, we're just going to have the most robust, most accurately measured voter registration drive in the evangelical church in modern political history. That's our goal. I, I mean, and I, I think, as we've said, it's not about telling people how to vote. But if a person is a believer, if That's they right. really care about the sanctity of life in Israel, That's right. they're, they're going to have a clear choice. And if they declare about uh, or care about law and order and whether mobs should rule, I mean, there's there yes, some sir. pretty distinguishing issues. Uh, but I can't imagine that many millions of Christians just stay home. What are the excuses that they give? Uh, I did on my website five top objections. One of them was, you just said it, uh, politics is dirty business. Yeah. Well, maybe that's why Christians should be involved. One of them is, we don't know how to do voter registration. So we have links. We have a pastor's toolkit where they can click on there. We even have a link for anybody to register in any state. Any it's state. way easier than they think. The, the excuses are kind of useless these days. If now's not the time to stand up, I don't know when is. How would a pastor, or for that matter, anyone, 
find out about voter registration so that they may conduct it in, in their church or in their neighborhood. We try to make this easy. So we create a little bit of an app. It's, uh, you can text the number 76076. It'll be on your screen. And you just text this one word you put together, my voice. And mm -hmm. when you text that, you're going to get a link for an individual voter registration. All 50 states are there or a pastor's toolkit, all free resources that a pastor can have. Here's how we run it in the church. Here's how we collect it by state, what the different rules are. Everything they knew to need to do to have a, a nonpartisan voter registration is right there at their fingertips. Chad Connolly, thank you very much. And let's uh, hope that people will uh, sign up for Faith Wins. Keith, why don't you tell the people more about Faith Wins so that they are ready to vote this November as if their religious freedom depended on it because it does. Well, whether you're an individual or a church, you'll find everything from voter registration info to a pastor's toolkit to help organize their congregation and community at faithwins.us. Also, follow faithwins.us on Facebook and on Twitter. Follow at faithwins.org and at Chad Conley. In 60 seconds, American Idol winner Lane Hardy talks about not making the show, then winning it all the next season. More Huckabee is coming right up. And welcome back. Being from Livingston, Louisiana, my next guest is kind of an expert on small towns. And the story of how he went from hunting, fishing, and playing country music to winning season 17 of American Idol is a great example of perseverance. I want you to welcome an absolutely delightful and a absolutely wonderful young artist that you're gonna see at the top. Please welcome Lane Hardy. <laughs> Lane. I love your music. It's kind of an eclectic version of country and, and, you know, old country, new country, rhythm and blues. It's just terrific. But what I love most, the lyrics of your songs talk about life in what I call the heartland of America. Is that intentional on your part? Oh, yes, sir. I was raised with um, traditional family value, values, thank, uh, thanks to my family. Yeah. And uh, that's what I live by. You tried out for American Idol once before. It didn't go very far, did it? Uh, I got like halfway through yeah. uh, the first time I went on. What, what'd they tell you? Like, ah, you just, we just not seeing it? <laughs> well, I was just, uh, I just, I'm so like, like um, introverted. Yeah? And I, I'm just like really calm. So the first time going through, I was just scared and shy. And uh, second time, I was just more open-minded to things. That is an incredible process. I mean, there are thousands and thousands of people who start out and it gets all the way down to one guy and you were that one guy. Yes. You had to have been blown away the night that they said, <laughs> Lane Hardy. My, Was that just bigger than life? Yes, sir. Like, I didn't know what to feel. My emotions were just everywhere. I'm so glad that you won American Idol. I mean, that's a, that's a big bump. But uh, being on the show will be even a bigger bump than that. I just want you to know that. Um, but let me just say to our audience, Lane is going to perform for us in just a moment. But first, Keith Bilbrey is going to tell you how you can get more from Lane Hardy. And I'm going to tell you something. You're going to want to. So listen carefully. And when you hear Lane's music, you're going to want to have it for yourself. Keith? 
You can get your copy of Lane Hardy's music everywhere music is sold. For its latest news, music videos, and streaming content, visit lanehardymusic.com. And after the show, go to Huckabee.tv for an exclusive encore performance by Lane Hardy singing Ground I Grew Up On. Now, here to perform Tiny Town is Lane Hardy. People wave when you roll by about what they drive Just happy they ain't walking Don't eat out cause they all cook Live by the good book A little twang when they're talking Yeah, that's living Living in a tiny town Nine to five on Friday nights Wearing Main Street down yeah, just living, living in a tiny town. Hardwood floors and liquor stores, letters burning out. What I would give right about now to be back in my tiny town. Sunday morning church is packed when the teachers buy beer, they park around the back. So the kids don't know they're drinking Football ain't no joke A can of worms and a fishing pole Keep them busy on the weekend Yeah, that's living Living in a tiny town Nine to five Friday nights Wearing Main Street down Yeah, just living Tiny town. 